On this week's episode of DLN Extend, we talk about the Linux-powered home studio setups. This episode of DLN Extend is brought to you by DigitalOcean and Bitwarden. Welcome to episode 35 of DLN Extend. DLN Extend is a community-powered podcast. We take conversations from the DLN community, from places like the DLN discourse forums, Telegram groups, Discord server, and more. We also take topics from other shows around the network to give our takes. I'm joined today by the two hosts that really pull their weight around here, especially when I'm off gallivanting the countryside. Matt, what have you been up to? Uh, Not much. Good to have you back, Nate, by the way. For me, I have been messing around with the Pine Phone all week. That's been a fun experience. Uh, so for those that don't know, I got the convergence edition of the Pine Phone, the post-market OS yes. edition. I feel like you just got that, like you just talked about getting it like last week. Well, for you, it was last week. <laughs> <laughs> for me, I am, well not a, I, I am not a fan of Fosh, just not, not my thing. So I've tried a bunch of different OSs. I've tried uh, Manjaro with Plasma Mobile. I've tried Manjaro with Lumiri, which is you know the UI for Ubi ports or Ubuntu Touch or whatever you want to call it, um, which I've is done, great. I I've like done, that one. I've I like it was a good decent experience. They, they still got some stuff they need to fix. Well, a what, lot. Do you, what do you mean decent? I love I love how you just like swipe the whole all those swipe gestures. Well, no, that that's what I mean. I the, swipe, the swipe gestures are great, but like when you use the keyboard and you hit the hit a text field and the keyboard just doesn't do anything, so. <laughs> You can't do oh, anything. Oh, yeah, there's that. So there's no way to like, oh, hey, look, I need to input a password for, you know, my Wi-Fi. Nope, can't do that if the keyboard don't show up. But uh, overall, I've tried Mobian, I've tried Luna OS, I've tried a bunch of different, you know, distros, quote unquote. Really, the only one that stuck for me was kind of UbiPorts. Um, it's just got, it's almost over that hurdle where I can use it as a daily driver. There's just a few things that they got to fix hardware wise it, it, like that's the only catch things like the camera not working kind of thing uh, i was gonna say, say for, the, the camera yeah the camera and the bluetooth are the two that kind of uh seem to give me a heartache uh camera intermittent bluetooth intermittent wi-fi especially after you like shut off the screen and trying to get it to log back into your wi-fi is kind of annoying because it doesn't hmm. always catch and the headphone jack doesn't actually work so like you plug in headphones, it doesn't do anything. So what have you been up to, Wendy? Well, since I was able to use earbuds again, at least in my left ear, I decided I was going to take my truly wireless earbuds back from my kids. I was letting my daughter use them, but she was also letting my son use them. So one of the neatest things about these earbuds that I have, they're the new Force Be Free 6, is you can use just one earbud. So you can have different, the right earbud connected to one device and left earbud connected to another device or two people can have you know one earbud in theirs and the other in their ear and be listening to the same thing because you don't have to have both earbuds in to control them so that that part's awesome and they were kind of sharing them back and forth and i was really excited to get them back and unfortunately the right earbud on them still works great the one that I still can't use. And the left earbud, first the button was sticking really bad and I've, I've got that worked out. But the problem now comes with charging. So because they're truly wireless, you got the, the little contacts on the earbud and the contacts inside the case to let them charge. And one of those contacts has been shoved 
all the way down in. So it doesn't have that springy function to it anymore. So it can sit right where it's supposed to on the contact and charge. And I decided, well, I'm going to go ahead and take the case apart and see if I can't get that contact to come back up. The, the case for the most part actually came apart pretty good. And I was able to access the board on the back and, um, you know, so the, those pins are soldered in. I got the board pulled off and was hoping that once I had the board pulled off, I could use a pair of tweezers that I have to get a hold of it. And no, it's it's seated so far in there that even having the board pulled out, I can't get a hold of that pin and get it pulled out far enough so it'll have the springy function again. So I'm, I'm really bummed because I have these earbuds that I can now use and the one that I can use won't charge anymore. And I haven't decided what I'm going to go do from here. So, so it's the springy part that's on the charging case, correct? Yeah, it's in the charging case. Yeah. That's the issue. Okay. So I wonder, have you tried like like a dental pick? If you like take it in there and you can, sometimes you might be able to like weasel a dental pick in there. Cause it, it could have that it just got slightly tilted and so it's you know it's a little, a little cattywampus as an old shop teacher of mine would say when looking at it it looks like it just got jammed down in there so i don't know why it was done but i think someone like was playing with it like oh that's cool these move up and down and <laughs> jammed it in there just as hard as they could so yeah i i do have a dental pick that i can get out and see if i can't get it kind of weaseled around in there so yeah, I've, I've been fighting with earbuds. I'm so excited. Yes, I can use my wireless earbuds again because I've been missing them. These The headphones that I'm wearing now, the Bose ones, I mean, I love them. They sound great. They're super comfortable, but it's really hard to listen to music or an audiobook or a podcast around the house and hear what my children are doing. Good call. My my concern is like I'm wearing <laughs> headphones now instead of my earbuds because I or my ear, I guess your earbuds, wireless Bluetooth thingy, which also I broke. My ears sweat after a while. Like they don't like being smashed inside those headphones oh, yeah. for an extended period of time. So Well, and these ones, the ones that I have, they go completely over the ear. But yeah, you, you'd still get that sweat moisture build up over time, but they don't actually sit on my ear at all they cup around them. Well, Nate, tell us what you've been doing. Well, a lot of it's probably not very interesting. So I'll leave it to the uh, the Linuxy stuff, it, sort of, that I've been doing. Nate, you've uh, been chasing Pokemon. That's a secret. Don't tell anybody, okay? That was between you and me. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> so I've uh, I've been playing around with Matrix Element. I don't know how to I don't know what the what to call it exactly. Matrix, ultimately, the foundation of an element. Element's really the only uh, user interface of Matrix that I actually like at the time because it actually works and it's fully functional. It makes sense when you use it, and it also allows for all the like encrypted traffic and verifying user and all that stuff. So that all works great. I'm not terribly interested in a new chat interface, but I have talked before, I think, or, or at least in my head, I've talked about it, where uh, I, I feel like I had too many of these. These, these platforms. You know, I got IRC up, I have Telegram, I have Discord, I have <clears throat> Facebook Messenger up. And, uh, and I don't like all these disparate little things. And so I see how Matrix allows me to pull all that stuff in. I'm probably not going to, to cancel Discord or, or Telegram because of they, they have certain functions and features that I think are fine on their own. But all those other ones, like SMS, for instance, is something I want to pull into Matrix. And, I, and I, so I installed, I did the process on my phone of setting up SMS matrix so I can chat like SMS chat from element into my phone because I don't like using my phone. The other option is a web web client interface with uh, with our good buddy Google, but the less the less Google 
Googleies I have, the better. So I prefer to go find other means. And so far, I would say it's a good eight out of 10 experience using SMS in uh, an element through Matrix. I'm actually, I'm pretty happy with it. Like if I'm just talking to one person, it works fantastically well. If it's a group message, it doesn't seem to be working very well. I know if it, at least if it knocks out majority of my, um, you know, having to mess with my phone. Because I, I can do the group messages through KDE Connect. So that kind of solves that problem if I really need to use it. This has been pretty nice. It's been pretty, pretty great. My next service I want to tackle is going to be Facebook because I'd like to get, uh, I'd like to not have to open up a Facebook tab ever again. And uh, I've, I've, I've used some other applications that do messaging just the messenger part of it. And those are hit and miss. But if I can have get rid of those and just use matrix, then I call that a huge win. Well, I'm curious as to how the Facebook side of it works for you. So I don't Facebook myself, but I know a lot of my family, that's how they communicate is through the Facebook messenger. I don't want to get on there on the computer. I don't want to have the Facebook messenger app on my phone. So if you yep. find a good yep. way around that, I would love to find your, or hear about your solution. I will actually be working on that solution. Um, I have some time ahead of me, you know, because of my travels that travels. You know, I only told you guys about you know, the ones where I was chasing after things. So I, I'll be testing that out. I know I have to set up some kind of a, a service on something that will be basically communicating with with uh, Matrix on that. I, I've read through the instructions. I'll hammer it out. And, and that sounds like a good candidate for putting on uh, front page Linux. This episode of DLN Extended is sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean offers the simplest, most developer-friendly cloud platform. It's optimized to make managing and scaling apps easy with an intuitive API, multiple storage options, integrated firewalls, load balancers, and more. DigitalOcean recently announced new features and services such as a virtual private cloud in all regions, free of charge. This lets you create multiple private networks to isolate your workloads. Container Registries is now available to all users. Easily store and manage private container images and push images seamlessly to DigitalOcean's Kubernetes. You can get all of this plus access to their world-class customer support for as low as $5 per month. Get started on DigitalOcean for free with $100 credit by going to do.co slash DLN and you can use that $100 credit for spinning up over a dozen droplets or even some monster-sized droplets for two months. Again, you can get started on DigitalOcean with $100 credit by going to do.co slash DLN. One of the things we love to talk about is Linux on Destination Linux Network. Today, we're going to talk about the our Linux-powered content creation, both hardware and software. Because, you know, everyone who does these podcasts, eventually we got to get to it, right? So, Wendy, when you do your Linux-y content creation, I'd like to know a little bit more about your system. Now, what, what are you running and, and so forth? Well, when it comes to the operating system that is on my main system, I'm really open about the fact that it's Manjaro. It's been Manjaro for almost two years now. Come December, it'll be Manjaro on my main system for pretty much a solid two years. I've loved it. I love the way that it worked. I haven't ran into... Well, th there was one bug that bit me here a little bit ago. Um, it was the one where it wouldn't fully boot afterwards. And I can't remember what was wrong. What it, what it caused that. But, you know, it didn't take a long to get fixed. So there there has been a bug here and there in, in dealing with a rolling system. But for the most part, I've had pretty solid two years on Manjaro, of course, with Plasma. And I don't see me leaving anytime. Love Plasma. So one of, one of the things I love is when, when you find something that really works well for you and it doesn't give you problems, there, there's really very little motivation to jump from that and introduce problems. So I, I totally get it. Yeah, absolutely. And like I said, it, it runs so good. There's no reason 
reason for me to go looking anywhere else. And this is not only a system that I use every day, it's a system that my husband uses every day. So it needs to be one that, you know, he can fire up and find the game he wants to play or do his billing or, you know, whatever needs done. It being consistent is important for both of us to just do the the day-to-day kind of things that we do. When it comes to hardware, and everybody knows if you've listened to Hardware Addicts, I absolutely love to talk hardware. And this system is the very first system that I ever built from scratch. I am super proud of this puppy. So I went big in a lot of ways. The case on this system is a Thermaltake Core X71. It is a massive beast. So you've heard Das Geek talk recently about his current production machine is one in this teeny tiny cute little case. And my system right now would eat his multiple times over just in the size proportions. Not necessarily when it comes to the power that's in it, but just case-wise, it's this massive thing on my desk. One of the reasons why I chose that is because, you know, ease of getting in and swapping in and out part. And then I wanted really good airflow through my case because in dealing with, you know, just playing games or photo editing, video editing, you know, there's a lot of heat being produced as I'm using RAM, I'm using CPU, I'm using GPU, and having a really good airflow was important to me. So that's one reason why I went such a large case size. And I have actually quite a few fans. I'm running three 140 millimeter fans in the front and two 200 millimeter fans across the top. Big fans uh, moving a lot of air. And part of that, this is a positive pressure system. And I went with positive pressure. That means all the fans are, or most of the fans anyway, are pulling air in. So you have more air coming in than you have um, being pushed out as far as pressure wise. And that is because I live in a very dusty environment. So I'm in Idaho. I'm in the deserts of Idaho. It's not that the super hot deserts, but we're dry and there's a lot of sandy dust around here. It doesn't matter what you do. Things are constantly coated. And I wanted to make sure and one, I wanted it to last longer and positive pressure airflow has a tendency to help dust not settle on component, which helps, of course, also with the heat issue and helping the components that I have in my system last longer, especially when you're putting it under load, right? You want to have, want to be able to keep those components as cool as possible even while they're putting out maximum effort. That's incredibly interesting. I I wouldn't have thought that. In my mind, I was was thinking that you just want to be able to push air out of it as much as possible. I guess that makes sense. Having air constantly blowing inside of it, it is as such, that that would keep dust from settling internally. So yeah, that's that's pretty clever. I did. It's one of those things that I did quite a bit of research on in figuring out, you know, how I wanted to put things together. And there's some really awesome videos out there that are showing positive, negative, and balanced pressure in cases. And when it came down to, you know, what their conclusions were and then thinking about what environment is my system in, what are some of the unique unique things that I have to deal with? So, you know, for some people, they've got a heck of a lot of moisture going on where they're at. Yeah, that that's not the case here. It's really dry. So that part is good for my system, but the downside is dust. And I don't have time to be continually taking things apart and blowing dust out. So how can I configure that system to make sure that even under load, we're staying as cool as we possibly can? So I'll go over some of the 
the rest of the components. So running a Ryzen 9 3900X with, of course, a boost of a cooler on that. I know. I love this CPU. Like, I absolutely love this thing. I went from an oh. i7 6700, not even the K, to the Ryzen 9 3900X. It was like going from a teeny tiny car to a beast of a pickup in and trying to move all stuff. It comes with a stock cooler that's pretty nice. Um, That's one of the things that I've liked about AMD, especially in the most of the Ryzen line. But I put on the Noctua NDD15, which I already had on hand. So that one wasn't new. It was on my, my previous CPU. And that's one of the, another great thing about a lot of the Noctua is they come with both Intel and AMD mounting brackets. And I love, I love the way their mounting brackets work. They're really easy to get on. So this has the, the two separate really tall towers. It's another reason why I have the case that I have because there are not many cases that can fit this monster air cooler. And of course, it's in black. Since they had it in black, I had to get it in black. I've got 32 gigs of DDR4. 600, 3600 Rip Jaws RAM. I would love to go more. I'd love to be like 64, but 32 was a big jump for me. I was 16 gigs before. Now I don't have, because I was getting to the point, especially in working with really large, and I'm talking really, really large image files to the point that I was almost running out of RAM. And so I was really having to play with how much further can I push this before I need to shut everything down and reboot my computer. And but I'm saying, you know, what this file I'm talking in particular is like a four gigabit, four gigabyte image file. Yeah, mo- most people aren't working with image files that massive and trying to manipulate them at the same time. The jump in RAM for me, um, like I said, I'd love to go more. The oldest piece of hardware in my system right now is my GPU. I'm still with an MSI Armor. RX 580 overclock edition. It it runs great though. I now have when I did the the major upgrade this spring on my system. I went from a 1080p monitor to a 4K monitor. So I can now only have one monitor, and it's a lot of work right now for this GPU to not only run the monitor, but then put it under load in gaming, photo processing, video processing. So that is the next thing that needs to be upgraded. I can do it, but I'm limited as far as the length of video I can currently edit because this graphics card is like, uh, you're wanting to do more than I'm made for. Motherboard, keyboard, and my mouse all have rainbow vomit or what other people call RGB. The, the keyboard I got because I knew I could change the backlighting on it and not need to jump into Windows. But there is some software on Linux that you can use to adjust the lighting on on your motherboard, your keyboard, your mouse inside of Linux. My favorite one for the mouse is actually called Piper. It's an amazing piece of software that not only can you control the RGB, but it lets you set functions of different buttons on your mouse. So if you have you know, a gaming mouse or a mouse with extra buttons, you can control what the functions of those buttons do. You can also change the DPI on your mouse using Piper. And it is such a clean, nice looking interface that I'd say if you want to go with one of the more, I guess, quote unquote, complicated, fun mice in the industry, Piper is definitely the way to control 
control that mouse on Linux. I absolutely love this mouse because of how smooth it is, how easy it is to get work done across my monitor. And then it's it's actually been quite fun for gaming. I still suck. Does it make me a better shot? Absolutely not. I still die in Doom instantly, but I can no longer bring it on my mouse. When it comes to doing the podcast, the microphone was kind of an interesting thing for me. You know, we've talked about kids. I've got four kids. We homeschool. That means there's always somebody here and my children, especially my boys, are almost never quiet. And when they are, something's broken or there's trouble. (laughs) (laughs) So I needed a microphone that would help be able to capture my voice well, be clear for everybody listening, but not catch the kids. And so I'm actually using a gradient shotgun condenser mic. It's the Audio-Technica AT-875. So it's not one of the cheaper mics on the market, but because of my specific needs for doing podcasting, I needed to have a, a mic that was a little more up there in quality and then be more specific. The shotgun mic really takes the sound coming directly from in front on top of it and less from the sides so that my kids can be yelling and bouncing in the background and it's less likely to pick up that stuff going on or the trucks that are driving past as different farming stuff is going on around me. It's less work for everybody who edits the show. You're welcome, Matt. The last piece of hardware that really ties this whole system together for me is the interface. So this mic has the, oh, I guess the standard whatever and it's called. That's got XLR. And so I need to have USB to go into my computer system. And I went with the, I actually am not entirely sure how to pronounce the company name. Foria UMC22. Well, Matt, what are you editing on? Uh, my editing machine. I am on the exact opposite spectrum of you, Wendy. Uh, <laughs> I did build a custom machine, but this particular machine that I do the editing on, the recording on, all that stuff, that is done on a, I believe it's an eight-year-old Elite Book 8760W. It's an i7 2760 QM, so it's four core, eight threads, 32 gigs of DDR3, 1333. I can probably... I, I think I can go to 1600 on that. I probably should, but you know, RAM prices and all that stuff. Um, I got two 512, uh, 2.5 SSDs in there. They're just cheap, like silicon power ones. NVIDIA Quadro K3100M. Now this is an upgrade from the original GPU that was in this machine, which was a Quadro 3000M. So I went from like a, I think I jumped three video card life cycles by that upgrade. Wow. The nice thing, well, the nice thing with this particular machine, you can upgrade certain components like the GPU. So um, because it uses an MXM standard. So that was kind of why I wanted to go with this particular machine. The other reason I went with this particular machine is because this has the 17 inch dream color monitor which is a 1920 by 1080 for those that don't know what the dream color stuff is from hp it literally the whole intent and purpose is it aims for that 100 adobe srgb all 100% across the board. So it's meant for like what Wendy does, you know, color profiles and all that stuff. So it goes for color accuracy to no end. And that is something I totally love about that. As far as the OS on it, I'm running say that particular machine, this particular machine is running salient with plasma mouse. I have the red dragon M601 and red dragon 50 uh, K502 for a keyboard. The webcam when I do use it is just a generic C920. The mic 
microphone. This is a weird, weird microphone. This is a USB mic that Imagine I use. Imagine that. <laughs> Shots fired. <laughs> the mic I use is a Marantz MPM 2000U. This mic originally, when I bought it, I got it at a really good deal, like 47 bucks or something. Oh, the, nice. co- the cost of it, and that was about half of what it cost originally. It was about a, about $100, give or take. The cost of this mic through this entire pandemic has gone literally from about 150 to $200 now. Holy crap. So, and I do very little post-process editing with this. So I don't, it doesn't require a lot. The mic arm and, you know, typical generic, just mic arm. Unlike Wendy, I don't have just the dead cat. I also have the pop filter <laughs> on front of it too, because I have a little too much back echo. So I have to try to eliminate yeah. where I can. And that's pretty much all I use. Like this is a, the exact opposite end of the spectrum. Wendy, you're showing what you can do with basically really, really new top end hardware, but close barring that, like you said, the GPU, which isn't a slow, which is not a bad GPU by any means. This initial, I bought this system off eBay originally. I spent like 200 bucks on it. That was with like a crap, uh, that was a crap hard drive and I think 16 gigs of RAM. I put less than $200 into upgrades and a hundred of that was into SSDs. (laughs) I spent spent $35 for the GPU upgrade. I'm in the system for 400 bucks and this is an eight-year-old system that can, for the most part, compete with what I need now for edits. So does this one mostly for your audio editing or do you do video editing on this one as well? Uh, I do audio and video. If anybody's ever watched any, uh, done any of my video content, they know I put very little effort into actually editing. (laughs) (laughs) Just not a fan. Noticed. (laughs) Shots fired. It has USB 3 on it, so I'm able to actually capture a 1080-60 frame capture card, no problem. Um, So that means I can capture all my gameplay if I decide to do like streaming or whatever at 1080p60. Works perfectly fine. It's a nice system given the fact that it's older. And it was one of those systems I just, I, I had a certain budget I had to work within and I was able to make it work and uh, I'm reaping the benefits of it. So It's definitely a system that I would gladly use. I mean, when it comes to my, my kitchen system, it's nowhere near a powerhouse and I actually do most of my show note type stuff at the kitchen system. So it doesn't need to be extremely powerful to be what you need for content production. That's the thing. I think a lot of people are like, oh, I got to spend, you know, four grand on a Ryzen 3900, uh, 39, was it 3950X? Sorry. Whatever, like yeah. the, the one above, basically they're one b- below Threadripper. <laughs> right, yeah, which would be the 3950, yeah. Yeah, I love specs as much as the next person, but on the same note, it's like, am I really going to go and like overdo it? You know, we have to live in this weird dichotomy of what we want and what we can afford. And this Absolutely. is at the time when I started tweaking this particular machine, this is what I could afford. I'm in it for until it breaks. So whatever. And it seems like it's been a really solid machine for you for the whole time you've had it. Yeah, I was going to say, I haven't had any issues. Um, nice thing, it doesn't have dual GPUs. <laughs> um, you see how I run on Arch. Yeah. Um, people might find that I'm using Arch as a production machine interesting. I don't pull anything in on that machine from the AUR. Barring, I think, one app, everything else is just whatever default Arch. So... <laughs> 
that that I, makes it a whole lot simpler. It's the AUR that is typically breaking things or stuff it, that yeah. you pull in. So if you pull in a bunch, you it, it's like PPAs in Ubuntu. You're yeah. you're you're potentially going to break stuff. That's just what it is. So Nate, what about you? Well, for me, my primary system. I have lots of I have lots of computers, and I like all of them, um, some more than others. But my primary system, the one that I that like, if if it breaks uh, or has problems. It, uh, it kind of shuts the day down, that system. So I run on a Dell Latitude E6440. It's, um, I think they went out of production in 2016 from Dell. And so it's, it's you know, a little bit, little bit old. I got it in 2017 in, I think, February or March. And uh, going from a, a Dell Latitude D630 was quite a jump. So, because uh, I was a Core 2 Duo machine. So anyway, this is, so it has an, I, has an i7, a 4900 MQ. So it's got the uh, quad core, so eight thread. I have 16 gigabytes of DDR3. I don't know the, the speed of it. I probably should, but I don't. It has uh, the hybrid graphics setup. So primarily I just use the Intel HD graphics 4600. And what I do on the occasion, the rare occasion that I do some gaming that, you know, kind of pushes it a little bit, I will uh, use the AMD uh, Radeon HD 8600M series GPU. It's got two gigabytes of uh, RAM on it. I don't know. I, I thought I read it was like DDR5. Could be. I don't remember. Matt probably knows because he knows all that stuff. Then uh, for screens, I have a, the built-in screen is a, um, a 1920 by 1080. Then I have an external ultra wide, which I think we talked about like a week ago. Then I have a uh, an ultra wide, a, a 2560 by by 1080 and uh for storage i have three drives in it i have a 128 gigabyte m sated drive that's my butterfs for my root that's about 58 percent full then my uh home directory is uh as it has its own ssd that's at 960 gigabytes like the two and a half inch built in and that's with xfs and it's about 92 percent full that's where like this is you know when i record stuff that's the drive it pretty much i run off of then i have an auxiliary drive that's in a media bay. So instead of a, like a CD-ROM drive, which I do swap in sometimes, I have a one terabyte hard disk drive. So a spinning rust that's um, also at 89% full because I have uh, too much junk on there. I need to do some uh, pruning. So uh, that's <laughs> that's basically... Or get you a better or a bigger hard drive. That That's a pretty tiny spinning rust drive. One terabyte. Yeah, it is kind of small, but it's a two and a half inch, you know, drive. So I'm sure I could put something, stuff something bigger in there. That was actually the old hard drive that was in here before I upgraded SSD. And I just kind of moved it out there. Uh, let's see, so for a mouse, I have some, the primary one that I use, it's something Dell with a red laser. That's what that sits at my computer station. That's uh, like my standing desk that I use most of the time. And then when I'm, um, when I do like CAD stuff, I have this Logitech. It's a really nice one. It's got like the little thumb rest area where it's kind of, it, so your thumb isn't like dragging on the, on the mouse pad. So oh, it's yeah. this Logitech Performance MX. It's kind of weighty. I'm not sure how good it would be for gaming since I don't do a whole lot of gaming that requires a mouse. Then I have a, um, my keyboard, I just use the built-in Dell Latitude, you know, the E6440. I actually happen to like Dell's keyboards. They've, uh, I think they've been great for a long they time. They do make a decent keyboard. I have a Dell Latitude, an older model. It actually is still down because it had some eggnog spilled in it like a year ago. And I've just never, oh. yeah, got some replacement yeah. parts for it. It needs a replacement That's, keyboard. The webcam that I have is just a built-in Latitude special. Uh, for my microphone, I'm using this USB uh, Fifine, Fifine, I don't know what it's called. I've never actually heard it pronounced, but F-I-F-I-N-E. So you tell me what you think that should be, how that should be labeled or pronounced. And then of course I my distribution. <laughs> yeah, well, that's because you're kind. And I like that. Uh, my distribution is, uh, well, the only one I know about, uh, OpenSUSE Tumbleweed. One of the two I know about, I should say. Tumbleweed and Leap, right? And uh, it, it actually, it, it's been working great. I have had a couple of issues over the last three years with it, um, mostly recently with the uh, change in G- to GCC 10 and also with the uh, kernel upgrades. There were some issues with Bluetooth audio for just a, a few weeks, basically. I filed many bug reports, sent out a lot of uh, information to try and help that along. And so that's, that's back to normal. And then it also, it, it did affect the usage of my, my Wacom graphics tablet or Wacom graphics tablet. I don't know how you pronounce that either. 
And I use Plasma as my desktop because although I have used XFCE, that that'd probably be my second desktop I would use if I had it, if I had, if, if uh, Plasma went away. But yeah. I, I like the, the I like the lightweight desktop, so I, I, I use Plasma. It's been a, a great system. I do have to say, uh, and I, I don't blame Wendy on this one. I blame just life. I will be um, up. It's not my, it's not a, it's not Michael's fault. It's not Ryan's fault. But I would like to blame. Uh, Matt, if at all possible, I will be upgrading this computer and putting it like on reserve status because I think it's time to, uh, uh, it's time, it's time, I think. Not that I'm having any issues with it. I mean, since I put in the, uh, that quad core CPU, I seem to be doing quite, I don't seem to be really pushing it unless I'm doing like some heavy number crunching and, uh, yeah. You know, it requires some, uh, you know, like rendering and, and so forth. So I'm, uh, I'm looking at at the uh, tuxedo computer right now. I'm just, I'm kind of bouncing some stuff off of Noah to see if maybe I'm missing something because you know I miss a lot of things and it takes me weeks or like months, sometimes years, to make a decision on buying a piece of hardware. So uh, I'm, I'm trying to accelerate the process. So I'm, I'm getting input from people, but I'm gonna get the, I'm gonna get that an all AMD, all, all AMD system. So it's a Ryzen something. I can't even remember right now. But so I, I'll be, I will be uh, putting this thing on reserve status. It's gonna be, kind of shift locations slightly and. Uh, and I will still use it. This episode of DLN Extend is brought to you by Bitwarden. Bitwarden is the easiest, safest way for individuals, teams, businesses, and organizations to store their passwords. The fact that Bitwarden is not only open source, but has had third-party security testing done is one reason I have chosen to trust them with my passwords. On their blog, they have recently announced another third-party security review has been completed. They have the security assessment available for anyone to review. My favorite part of the report, and I quote, no exploitable vulnerabilities were discovered. Thank you, Bitwarden, for offering such a feature-rich password manager and making security checks a priority. You can get started with a free account by going to bitwarden.com DLN. Want to support this open source project and help them continue to conduct third-party security audits? That support starts at only $10 a year. Jump over to bitwarden.com DLN to learn more. Well, now that we've... Uh shared our primary Linux machines. Matt, what else do you do besides content creation on your computers? Well, duh, I game. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. Why did I even ask that? So, Matt, what games have you been running lately? <laughs> uh, it's almost like you're trying to say I'm an enabler of, like, games or something, Nate. You know, I was... Tr- even though I read in the show notes what it, what was going on, I wanted to see if I could dance around it at all, and and really I, I should have just gone gone right for it. So one game I've actually been playing because it just intrigued me so much was there is a game that it goes by two names on Steam, but I'm gonna use the English translated version because I will butcher that name to no end if I try to use that, and I'm not gonna be that offensive to somebody's culture. Um, this game is called Never Alone. It is a game that is developed to teach about the Inuit people of you know the Arctic area of the of the world and. It's just kind of a cool game because it it goes into like their mythos and just their culture. Well, of course, and, it's cool. It's an Arctic <laughs> game, so it's got to be cool. I was waiting for the day if you get the pun. <laughs> yeah, um, and dead joke. Yeah, <laughs> totally oh, dead. That's not. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it, it is. It was totally that joke. The thing I like about this game is it 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 shows that games can be used as a medium for teaching something instead of you know a lot of people are like oh the, all you're doing is wasting time and it's like no this the entire point of this game and it, it to, is to teach about this particular aspect of the real world and the culture and the things around it the language etc that to me is an intriguing aspect that of gaming that doesn't get brought up a lot 
And the cool thing is it's Linux native, just going to say. But I, I do love the the art style that they chose for the game too, from like a game gamer perspective as outside of the cultural stuff as a gamer. I love like the art style and kind of the, the whimsical nature that they chose to go with. So that was a awesome choice. I think I know Wendy and that, like I, I threw this your way as a, as a recommendation because I, I really do think more projects like this should happen for and in gaming than do. And it really, to really highlight the power of like, these can be tools beyond just my, you know, mindless quote unquote entertainment. I think stuff like this helps prove that. Well, and my kids have other education related games that they play. And it's one of the things that I do like to employ in our school day, in our school year, in our curriculum is different ways of learning. And I find that games can be a wonderful way to pick up content or pick up information in in this fun fun way of of getting around it or or getting to it and it's another way of helping you retain that information because it's not enough if you just learn it once and then forget it. it it really doesn't do you a heck of a lot of good but finding ways to help help them retain that information or grow through education i find games to be a wonderful way to do that anything to really push the the grammar and to push the ideas over and over again i mean really in anything that you do practice makes perfect yeah absolutely and i know for my kids one of their favorite subjects when we're doing our our typical school day right we we chug through math and we we get through language art. We have some fun ways of doing those things, but you know, they're they're definitely not their favorite. But when it comes to social studies, histories, learning about other cultures, it's it's always like, hey guys, it's time for this. And they're always really excited for it. And we have done that mythology of some other cultures, but we have not yet done any from Inuit culture. And I think it would be so cool to kind of dive into that world, especially as we're hitting winter and be able to not only learn about some of this mythology, but then be able to explore our own ice covered world at the same time. What's on your radar for your interests right now, Wendy? Well, we are diving back into the discourse farm. So for a while, I've had a thread going, this is what software do you use? And recently, We've had a community member jump in with a program that I've never heard of. And this is another one of those that I, I'm not sure how to pronounce it. To pronounce it, I'd probably butcher it. So we have G-E-E-Q-I-E. And he uses this software specifically for culling. Now, what is culling when it comes to images? That is the process of deciding which ones you're keeping and which ones you're not keeping. And this particular community member says that he can go through 5,000 images at a time in this process. And one thing that he absolutely loves about this program because he can do it all from the keyboard, doesn't need to touch the mouse. He can navigate next image using the space bar, go previous image with backspace, then be able to um, tag images, show additional checkboxes, all kinds of different things that you would do in deciding not only which images you want to keep, but also in sorting through those images, reading those images. He can do it all from the keyboard, never touch the mouse, and be able to get through a massive file size 
really quickly. So thank you so much, Swan Sin Flight, for sharing this app with me because I'd never heard of it before. And it sounds like an awesome one that I'd at least love to check out a little bit. That does sound cool. And I like the idea of anytime you can work in an application and just use a keyboard, especially if you're not having to, like if you don't even have to look at the keyboard to do the work. Yeah. That makes it even better. So yeah, that's pretty awesome. If I, uh, you know, if I ever got into photography, which it's not going to happen, I would definitely be (laughs) using that. (laughs) Maybe. So Nate, tell us more about what's going on with OpenSUSE because I know that's got to be your interest, right? Well, it is. Uh, Since I was um, (laughs) gone for a while, means I had to leave my home and, you know, and everything in it, which that whole shutdown process of shutting your home down, it's it's kind of a lengthy process, really. Anyway, the uh, so my server kept running the entire time and I was able to still back up, you know, data to it as I used it. So it ran great, didn't have any problems. But when I came home, I, I noticed, well, of course, since it does run Tumbleweed, my server does, it required over 5,000 packages to become up to date. And that Ooh. was like, I mean, pretty much everything on it was being upgraded. That was, you know, I, I mean, I've done, I've done lengthy um, uh, negligence of my, of, of Tumbleweed, you know, many times, but this concerns me a little bit more because it is my server and I kind of rely on it on a day-to-day basis. I, you know, there's, there's always this little bit of apprehension and I had a total of zero problems. Uh, nothing, nothing broke. Nothing's not working now. I just did some, some uh, document scanning and and so forth. I mean, just a little bit ago. So I, um, you know, everything's working. The my, uh, sync thing came back up. All the different little protocols that I have running on it for uh, messaging or whatever, everything came up. Nothing, uh, Plasma had zero issues. And uh, so I'm, I'm pretty happy. I'm not terribly surprised, but there's always a kind of a sense of like Relief. satisfaction for my choices. Yeah. And, and using that. And uh, yeah, yeah, so I'm, I'm no really happy about that. That's no small update. That's no small Mm-mm. update. 5,000 nope, it was packages. pretty much, yeah, over 5,000. I, I should have saved that image. And uh, actually, you know, I bet it, I bet it's someplace I can find it. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm very, really, truly very pleased by, by that. And it, re- it reaffirms my, uh, my almost unhealthy obsession with the OpenSUSE project. <laughs> that it's uh, not a bad obsession, uh, but almost a, a safe obsession, if, if I may say so myself. And especially for your server, because that is definitely one thing that you don't want to have going down even after a length of time and needing to do a big update? 5,964 packages is what it was. Ooh, so you're so, pretty uh, close to 6,000 packages updated. So overall download size was 4.18 gigabytes. Yep, so uh, yeah, pretty pretty great. And everything uh, still kicking. That, so good that job awesome on, and say good, good yeah. job on those at, at OpenSUSE, the zipper project and all the packaging has, uh, has been great. We'd like to continue this discussion with you on Telegram, Discourse, Mumble, or Discord. Visit the DLN website for information on how to connect to the social channels and all of our shows and creators at destinationlinux.network. For more information on where you can find stuff about me, cubiclenate.com. Links to my regular written blatherings, podcast, and YouTube channel can be found there. And you can find my random ramblings on Twitter at MattDLN. You can find me on Instagram at Linux and Lifts. As always, we thank you for joining us. We'll be back next week with another fantastic episode of DLN Extend. Until then, have a great week, everyone.